Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day as we wrap up another week. Here's what we're going to be talking about on the program today. African swine fever. It's still spreading. It's now in South Korea. We're going to talk about African swine fever in other countries and the efforts to keep it out of the United States. We'll talk with the National Pork Producers Council Chief Veterinarian Liz Wagstrom for an update. Also joining us today, the Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton, will be with us. We'll talk about an extension for sign-up for the Dairy Margin Coverage Program, and we'll talk about the dairy industry uh, overall, the dairy economy, as well as the ag economy. And we're going to get our one of our first harvest updates of the year. We're going to go to St. Joseph, Missouri. Gene Millard will check in with us as uh, he's getting underway with harvest, and we'll find out how things are going early on in that area. But we're going to start things off uh, today by going to Albany, Minnesota, where we find Joe Gill, farm director at our affiliate KASM, CASM Radio in Albany, Minnesota. Joe, how are you? You know what, Mike? We're doing great this morning, and most importantly, we're dry right now, so that's good. (laughs) Well, you've been posting rainfall amounts in your area there around Albany, and you've had a lot of rain here late summer, early fall. Yeah, once again, it's been just a a weird uh, fall here for us in central Minnesota here. Just doing some calculations here for the first half of September, we've seen just over six and a quarter inches uh, here at the radio station in Albany, but it such a varies right along this I-94 corridor. We're seeing folks uh, just in the last seven to ten days who have seen six inches of rain, four to six here at the station. We've seen uh, just over three and a quarter here in the last uh, six to seven day period, and we're just seeing standing water all over, lots of uh, the small creeks and ditches. You're seeing a lot of water overflow around the area, and it's, and it's stretching into the fields as well. As you said, just a continuation of what has been a challenging year. Uh, how do crops, considering, look? You know, crops look okay, Mike. I'm going to use okay, and and as you look at the corn and the beans uh, yesterday around the area, I mean, we're seeing water standing. As far as any harvesting, we're not seeing anything at all. You're seeing a few guys... Uh, chop a few rounds just because they're out of silage or uh, in some cases uh, they say the corn is ready but you can count on one hand on how much uh, corn you see that's uh, being uh, taken out of the field right now and it sounds like it'll be a while anyway is it ready to harvest or getting close if you are dry enough to get to it yeah that's the thing the one or two guys that actually had a chance to get their uh, uh, planting done on time they said yeah they're ready to go uh, we're seeing a few other kind of hurdles in the whole scenario where I had uh, one lady was uh, just to our south said, we're ready to chop, things are ready to go, but we have to get our pit cleaned out. And with uh, the wet conditions, we can't do that. So that's putting us kind of behind schedule in that area. So we're seeing all the different factors overlap. But uh, still, bottom line, a lot of people are waiting for that frost to hold off. Uh, many said if we can wait till Halloween, that would be ideal. Yeah, what are your forecasts? How are they looking? 
so far, I mean, we're, we're seeing a, a stretch of warm weather here in the last few days where uh, we've seen uh, over 80 degrees uh, since uh, last Wednesday on the 15th. We've had 81, 84, 86, 83 for daytime highs. So we're, we're gaining some of those growing degree days, um, but we just really haven't had any consistent warm weather as we were in the 60s and even had some 50s earlier here in September. So I, I think we're trying to make up some ground. I'm hoping it's, it's not too late for that to happen. We're talking with Joe Gill, Farm Director at Chasm Radio in Albany, Minnesota. So, Joe, uh, rain and uh, concerns about an early frost. What is your uh, normal frost state in that area? You know, it's, it's not surprising to see something in late September, early October. Um, that's not surprising at all. It has happened. Um, so folks are, are, are a little on edge because they know it could happen. I mean, we had some overnight lows. We were down to 45 degrees here earlier in the month. Uh, we had a lot of mornings where you'd walk around or see somebody uptown and they'd say, boy, it sure feels like fall this morning. Uh, we never did break that 40-degree mark under that at all. I know northern Minnesota has already. Um, so seeing something, uh, a light freeze, uh, end of September, early October isn't uh, out of the norm. Well, it looks like you might avoid that if you can just get some drier weather. Is there still rain in your forecast? You know, they still got rain in the forecast yet uh, for today and tomorrow, um, even next week, mid-next week. I, I'm hoping it's not to the level of what we just saw, but still some rain in the forecast here, but uh, not not as uh, comparable, I think, to what we've seen here in the last 10 days. Well, Joe, you're in dairy country. I know you'll soon be headed to World Dairy Expo. Uh, the announcement uh, yesterday that the uh, sign-up for the DMC New Dairy Margin Coverage uh, Program has been extended. What's uh, What are you hearing from dairy producers in your area about that program? You know, Mike, I, I'm hearing from a lot of folks right now that uh, on one side they're saying it's almost too good to be true, where they've seen this program, they've signed up for the program, and they're going to see how it's going to benefit their farm for the next five years. I know the state is also here in Minnesota throwing in some additional assistance, which was approved during their last uh, legislative session. That's an added bonus for those who sign up for the five years. We still have a few reluctant, still holding some uh, ill will to previous programs, but I think the majority is we're seeing these Class Three futures rise. Uh, we saw a 75-cent gain last week, something I've never seen in my short time as farm director. Um, I think people are, are there, there is some optimism out there, knowing that this is going to give them some certainty as they plan ahead for the future and hopefully uh, regain some of what they lost here in the recent five years. Joe, we keep hearing about uh, states losing dairy operations. What's, what's the situation in your area as far as... Uh, uh, dairy producers being able to to hang on to what's been another tough economic stretch for them. It's the same scenario here, Mike, as well. We're seeing at least, I know here, just in my local area, at least, uh, you know, two to three herds are being sold almost per week at local sales barns. And you see auction flyers for additional sales here yet this fall. And we're seeing a lot of folks who are maybe in that retirement age and, and, deciding this is maybe that final straw to say, okay, I'm done, I'm going to hang it up, or you're seeing that other generation where there might be a, a lack of transparency saying, you know, we'd like to switch to the next generation, but, boy, it's just too much to tackle right now. 
Um, this last five years has really taken a toll, especially in the small farms. Uh, we do have a lot hanging in there, uh, still a lot of dairy in the area, but uh, a lot of folks said it was just, just too much to handle this last five-year period. All right, Joe, thanks for the update. We'll hope you get some uh, uh, drier weather and uh, that the frost stays away and the dairy prices turn around. Got a lot of things uh, we're hoping for there in your area, but uh, uh, we'll hope that uh, things turn around quick. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Always good to talk with you. Joe Gill, Chasm Radio, KASM there in Albany, Minnesota, with an update on uh, the crop situation, weather situation, and uh, the dairy situation as well. We'll talk more about dairy a little bit later on with John Newton. But up next, we'll get an update on African swine fever. Liz Wagstrom with the National Pork Producers Council next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Let's take a look at the ag economy. Joining us now is John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, good to talk with you. I guess if we look at the ag economy, you'd have to look at it in two ways. One, with the MFP payments that came out, and what would it be if we did not have those MFP payments? It, it certainly is. USDA last week updated their, their forecast for farm economy in 2019. When we first saw that forecast uh, earlier in the year and back in March, it was at $69 billion. Uh, and after that, the, the government came in and announced a very second, uh, second round of trade aid. We also passed a disaster bill. And so now USDA's projected farm income in 2019 at $88 billion, quite a significant difference uh, than where we were back in March. And if you take all those trade aid payments, farm bill payments off the table, uh, farm income in 2019 is still... Uh, in the bottom 50%. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Peak performance at harvest is a necessity. It's our expertise. Producers who look to have a successful harvest turn to FS. Our grain systems experts reduce downtime by offering the latest products, innovations, and knowledge to your grain operation. Whether you need a part in a hurry or advice on your equipment, we'll keep you running. At FS, we're always looking for ways to optimize your grain system and ensure during harvest your operation is ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in magazine, 
manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. African swine fever continues to spread. We're going to get an update now from the chief veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council, Liz Wagstrom. Liz, thanks for joining us. Uh, Give us an update. We're hearing that it's now in South Korea. What can you tell us? Yeah, Mike, South Korea um, reported their first uh, cases earlier this week. They have two farms that they've reported. I think it'll be really interesting to see how South Korea handles it because they have a lot of experience. They've um, gotten rid of foot and mouth disease twice, so they've they've got a strong veterinary structure and strong controls. and And so, I'm very interested to see if South Korea has any better luck than some of the other countries in that area. Has it spread to um, any other countries recently? Yeah, we we hear that there are concerns with Thailand, and of course, you've got Laos. Um, and Vietnam that it's been spreading through for the last couple months. Um, we're excited. We just actually worked with the Swine Health Information Center to get a, approximately a $1.7 million grant for study in Vietnam. And there'd be two things we can do with that. One is to help the Vietnamese with um, their diagnostic and veterinary capability. But secondly, to be able to learn things we could maybe apply in the United States, things like... Um, cleaning and disinfection protocols if you had to depop and repop a site, um, getting diagnostic tests validated, um, looking at if you have it, a multi-barn site, can you confine an outbreak to one barn within a multi-barn site? So some of those things that we can learn in Vietnam are going to be um, applicable to the United States if we were to ever have an outbreak. Of course, this started in China, as far as we know. Uh, what's, what's the latest there? Yeah, we continue to hear that they have, you know, large losses of animals. Um, some people are are estimating that by the end of the year they'll have lost up to 70%. So um, massive losses. Um, we know they have struggles with um, repopping barns, with putting animals back in too soon um, and then breaking again. We did hear a really encouraging um, talk at the Lehman Conference earlier this week about a protocol that's been used um, by some of the pipestone veterinarians that work within China, that it's a long protocol involving multiple washes and disinfection. It's you know taking out the gating in the barn and washing that, putting it back in. But they have been able to keep those barns negative when they, they put animals back in. So, again... Um, perhaps something we can learn from and utilize if there were ever to be a break in the United States. We're talking with Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council. 
Liz, as it continues to spread to these other countries, uh, are there, you know, it kind of puts others on alert besides the U.S., but what other countries in that area might be at most at risk now? Well, I think we are obviously concerned about Japan. Um, you know, they're a, a really good trading partner, and, you know, we have a lot of concerns about them. Um, the Philippines just broke. You've got other island nations down there, the um, Malaysia, Indonesia, et cetera, that could be vulnerable. Yeah, Japan uh, so far, as far as we have heard, has, has not had it. What are they doing there to try to keep it out? It seems like it's almost surrounding them. Right. Well, Japan is doing some of the same things we are. You know, they've got strong border controls. They're looking at, um, you know, they've banned importation of meat from positive countries. Um, they are being very careful with, with border security um, because as an island nation, you know, they have really tight control about who comes in. You know, and, and we're trying to do the same here in the United States. You know, we spent last week with producers up on Capitol Hill advocating for uh, 600 additional border inspectors um, for our airports, our seaports, and our land ports. And um, also, you know, working on making sure we have producers, our uh, packing community, our state veterinarians all involved in this upcoming um, ASF tabletop drill that the, that the USDA is putting on next week. So I think we'll have the 13 top swine states participating in this drill that will um, simulate an outbreak. So for those of you in the news business, if you see something about a simulated outbreak, we want to make sure you know it's a drill. But Mm -hmm. that will give us a chance to really um, apply uh, lessons learned from other countries as well as for us to understand um, what are our protocols in the case of an outbreak. Are they the same from state to state? Um, are there needs to vary those protocols? What haven't we thought about? And what's been decided that needs to then trickle down to the countryside so we know what those decisions are? Yeah, we have to prepare for what we hope doesn't happen, right? And we have to prepare to know what to do in case it does come here. Absolutely. You know, we're doing everything we can to prevent but um, we sure can't turn our back on preparedness because the better prepared we are, if we were to have an outbreak, the better chance we have to con- um, identify it early and then control it early and um, and be able to get back to normal production. How is this similar? How is it different from other swine diseases that we've uh, dealt with in the past? That's a great question. You know, you look at something like that has been a very difficult disease to deal with. You know, it's at least 30 years into our our PERS, um, maybe 35 years since we've had identified PERS. And that is a disease that spread aerosol. So you see area spread. So our hope is that if we were to have an African swine fever virus break, it is a um, close contact disease. So people uh, or pigs need to have either nose-to-nose contact or or, um, contact with secretions or excretions from a a sick pig. So by keeping our animals confined, by keeping them in biosecurity secure facilities, um, we have a good chance of, of controlling it. 
The other thing we see that other some of these small countries have done, and we have had rules, the USDA has had rules for decades, is the banning of um, plate waste feeding containing um, meat. Um, in some countries, they, it's a, you know table scraps are just routinely fed to pigs as part of growing pigs. We have rules that require that um, in the states that do allow it, that facilities that use table waste boil that for 30 minutes, uh, inactivate any virus. They're inspected regularly. They go out and do investigations looking for people that might not be licensed. And so some of those sorts of controls, I mean, banning um, plate waste with meat and putting those controls for boiling in is what one of the things that helped us control classical spine fever back when we had it, or back then we called it hog cholera. Do you feel that everything is being done that can be done at this point to keep it out of the United States, or is there something else that you wish uh, would be done or could be done? Sure. We keep looking at that. You know, obviously for us, the increase in the detector dogs, the, the beagles, the increase in agriculture sectors is paramount. We still continue to struggle a little bit with um, how to best control any imported feedstuffs and how to make that as low risk as possible. We've been working with FDA and USDA on that issue, um, trying to determine what could be a scientifically founded method to reduce that risk. And a lot of the suppliers have already done significant things. When we look at some of the um, vitamin amino acid suppliers, they produce those in, um, in under good manufacturing practices in plants that also produce for humans. And so they do everything they can to avoid contamination. They're adding some of those holding times in. So, you know, as an industry, we've done a lot working with the feed industry. You know, our concern is that, you know, there may be some other products coming in that um, may not even be intended for pigs, but if they were to get in a plant uh, or a feed mill and contaminate the feed mill, it could potentially get into pig feed. So that's the one area that I think we still have um, significant work to do do with as far as trying to look for solutions. I think we've identified solutions with our agricultural inspectors and the dogs and, you know, things at the ports. But we're still looking for solutions around the risk of of any seed contamination. All right, Liz, thank you for the update, and we'll stay in touch uh, to keep a close watch on this. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council, an update on African swine fever in other countries and what's being done to keep it out of the United States. Up next, we'll talk with John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. 
but there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors, waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A measured level of optimism circulating among soybean traders yesterday about the restart of U.S.-China trade negotiations. The Washington talks this week come ahead of a high-level meeting scheduled for October. Bit of a pullback in soybean futures early on this Friday. After two days of retreating, November soybean bulls jumped in to support the market to a firmer close on Thursday. The minor trend remains bullish, new support forming at 886 and a quarter on Thursday. An hour in on this Friday, we're at 887 and three quarters on November soybeans, down five and a quarter. In corn, December down a half cent at 372 and a quarter. We eked out modest gains on Thursday in corn, but continued to consolidate below key chart resistance at 377, the swing high from August 29th. In the wheats, Minneapolis spring wheat continues to trend higher. December up seven and a half at 527 and three quarters. March at 540 and three quarters, up seven cents. Chicago wheat, December down three quarters of a cent, 487 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat, December steady money at 409 and a half. Livestock at the Merck in lean hog futures, December a dollar five higher, $69 even. Feeder cattle, October at 139.17, up 25. November up 25 at 137.50. Live cattle futures, a narrow mix ahead of this afternoon's cattle on feed numbers from USDA, average trade guess, on feed 99.4% of a year ago. October live cattle up 15 cents at 99.95. Wall Street, the Dow up 80 points. October crude oil, New York up 53. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. 
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, joining us now is the Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton. John, thanks for being with us. Hey, nice to visit with you, Mike. Hey, we've got the announcement that the sign-up for the Dairy Margin Coverage uh, Program has been extended for another week. Is this uh, kind of an indication that the USDA disappointed that not more have signed up so far? You know, I think we've actually surpassed uh, the participation that we saw in the the margin protection program. Uh, We've got about 55% of the licensed dairy operations uh, enrolled in the program. They're covering about 80% of the eligible production history. Uh, I think that's slightly better than than what we saw in MPP. I think this deadline really just gives folks another opportunity. You know, if you're not in at 950 right now in Tier 1, you need to get in your FSA office and make that change or enroll in 950, and this extra week gives them the, the opportunity to do that. Why do you think more producers have not signed up? Is it because of the bad experience, the bad taste in their mouths from uh, the old margin protection program? You know, it could be. Uh, I think the experience from the margin protection program, Mike, was so bad, uh, Congress had to change the name of it uh, to give it a new uh, look and feel out there, but this really is an enhanced program. I mean, the 950 margin uh, would have triggered 80% of the time uh, going back four or five years, so it's it's likely to trigger a lot more frequently. Uh, and then the, the adjustment on alfalfa hay also provides a little bit of a sweetener uh, to DMC. So this really is a, a good deal. I think we looked at the numbers. If you have 5 million pounds in Tier 1, uh, you're looking at a $27,000 payment. After you take the premium, uh, you're, there's twenty thousand dollars on the table, and that's not that's not anything to shake a stick at. I was just looking. Uh, you've posted on your on Twitter a kind of a breakdown by state. What stands out to you in in so far in the sign up on this? Well, I, you know, had an opportunity to visit with USDA yesterday, and and really, uh, just about everybody is in at nine fifty at tier one, and that's what that's what you'd want to see. And I think when you look at the state level breakdown. Uh, you see that, you know, especially out west, a lot of those folks have been able uh, to get in at that 950 coverage option and get the 5 million pounds covered under Tier 1 uh, for some of those larger dairy operations. For some of the smaller ones, their per hundredweight payments are, are obviously higher because they have a lower volume of milk uh, coming on the program, but they're also, too, maximizing uh, their benefits under DMC. So I think, you know, again, you got a week to get out there and, and, and sign up and We've been encouraging our folks to do so. Uh, you just simply don't want to leave money on the table, uh, given where the dairy economy's been for so long. We're talking with John Newton, chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Let's talk about the dairy economy. John, there have been uh, some positive signs uh, lately, right? I mean, uh, not that it's turned around completely, but we're looking for some uh, bright spots here. What can you tell us? Well, I can tell you a couple things. One, the multi-year hangover coming out of the EU quota system where we saw massive uh, buildup of non-fat dry milk powders in the European Union that weighed on global markets. That's gone. Uh, U.S. milk production the first half of the year was uh, negative. That's a good thing. Globally, milk production growth has slowed down. That's a good thing. 
And then even in the U.S., we're seeing stock levels for uh, cheeses and American cheese three to six percent below prior year levels. So the market's tightening. I think we're moving from a market that was long on milk to one that's short on milk, and that's leading some higher prices. Uh, class three milk prices, uh, you know, approaching that seventeen, eighteen dollar level. Uh, we haven't seen that in a number of years. Now it's it's nowhere near what it was prior to two thousand fourteen, uh, but it's a, a welcome sight. Like to see it move a little bit higher. Uh, given the tightness of the market that we have out there. USMCA, uh, one of the areas of improvement over NAFTA is supposed to be in the dairy sector. How do you see that helping if it gets passed? Well, uh, you know, we we had a rally last week uh, on the Hill. A lot of members of of Congress came and spoke. You saw the letter from all the former secretaries of agriculture yesterday urging Congress to pass USMCA. But what it does for dairy... Uh, it tries to address that Class 7 pricing system uh, that Canada's been exploiting for a number of years to move some of their surplus milk powders. And, and what they do is they there's a, a new pricing mechanism that they're going to use for their nonfat sol- solids. Uh, they've got a make allowance that's supposed to align with the U.S. make allowance. And then if they export over a certain volume, there's there's some penalties associated with it. So it, it tries to rein it in a little bit so that they don't take advantage of U.S. dairy producers any longer. Domestically, we've had uh, big demand for cheese, but declining demand for fluid milk. Has that changed any at all? You know, we just we just got new numbers from USDA's Economic Research Service on commercial disappearance and per capita consumption. Uh, what we see is that per capita consumption of fluid milk declined uh, yet again in 2018, uh, down four pounds per person. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 146 uh, pounds per person of fluid milk. Uh, cheese consumption continues to increase. Butter consumption continues to increase. And, and at the end of the day, we're consuming on a milk equivalent basis more dairy products per capita uh, than we have ever before. It's just that we're getting that, that those dairy proteins, those dairy milk fats from somewhere other than the bottle. Uh, a deal with China would certainly boost things, too, wouldn't it, for the dairy sector? Well, it certainly will, and, and I think you saw the announcement from USDEC and Secretary Vilsack on dry whey. Uh, they had purchased a lot of dry whey from us up until the, the tariffs, and, and the, the ability to get that product back into China uh, is a good thing. I think USMCA, the deal with Japan that we're going to get details on soon, and then China, those are three big first downs in this long game of trade that we're trying to win. And I think combined uh, do a good thing for U.S. dairy. The other big issue, of course, for dairy is the immigration issue, the labor issue, and that continues to be a struggle. You know, it, it certainly is. And I know that, uh, you know, many our staff has been engaged with uh, folks uh, in, in, in around town uh, to try to find a path forward on labor. Uh, we've done uh, some analysis on the H-2A program that we put on our uh, website just yesterday, and our comment letter on that's going to go in very soon. But at the end of the day, we've got to have access to labor. I think that's probably uh, one of the more pressing uh, issues in the entire agricultural sector is having access to a reliable workforce. Uh, the farm economy is one thing, trade's one thing, uh, but as President Zippy Duvall says, a lot of times you worry about if you're going to have somebody to help you at 3 in the morning when you've got to get out there and milk those cows. That's why we need to find a solution as a country on immigration. What are the numbers showing us as far as 
the loss of dairy operations, uh, operations closing down. Well, that's you know that's that's the unfortunate thing. I was just looking at those numbers uh, actually this morning, Mike, and and what we've seen uh, really going back to 2003 when USDA. Uh, data series first began, we've lost nearly 50% of the licensed dairy operations. Over the last day, we've lost 70,000 uh, dairy operations, uh, and it's it's uniform across the country. Uh, every single state has fewer dairies today uh, than what they had 10 years ago. Uh, one of the things that we do see, however, is that uh, the number of milking cows per dairy operation has doubled since 2003. So, um, you know, I think I think what we've seen, you know, over the last day, day or two, is a shift uh, in in the farm size, really to capture and try to capture uh, the economies of scale. Yeah, and the output continues to be there, but when you when you lose those operations, that uh, that still has a trickle down effect overall in rural America and, and and just the economy overall. Without a doubt, and, and I think that's. You know that's that's not unif- that's not a problem to just dairy. That's all of agriculture. When you're looking at what what farmers and ranchers contribute to their rural communities, the jobs they provide, we've had a down farm economy for a number of years. That's impacting how often somebody hits their John Deere dealership. That's impacting their a lot of their inputs. That's impacting their their spending in the community. So I think it's 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 a big challenge. And you lose those dairies, you lose. Uh, some of those families, and that impacts rural schools. There's not as many people in those areas. There's a lot of challenges when, of, of you know seeing fewer and fewer farm operations in rural America. So the emphasis on right now, uh, one for the dairy industry, uh, sign up another week now for the dairy margin coverage program. But the emphasis still, as we've talked for so long now, uh, these trade issues need to be resolved. That's that's been you know one of our our strategic priorities this entire year, Mike, is trying to urge our members to work with their members of Congress to get something done on USMCA. I think there's still an opportunity to do so. We're, we're obviously very optimistic. The rally last week uh, had a great turnout. Um, you know, we had an opportunity to visit with Secretary Purdue. We talked about the deal with Japan uh, and what, the, you know, what, what that could mean for U.S. agriculture. And obviously, uh, we've seen some light at the end of the tunnel with with respect to China. Hopefully, we can get that done and and get back to being a reliable and and good partner to all those businesses uh, that depend on American agricultural products. All right, John. Thank you. Always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Take take care, John Newton, Chief Economist, American Farm Bureau Federation. So again, for dairy producers, you have another week. It's the deadline for sign up in the uh, new dairy margin coverage program has been extended. Originally, today was the uh, deadline for sign-up, but it's been extended till next Friday. Well, we heard earlier from Joe Gill in Albany, Minnesota. They've had lots and lots of rain here recently. No harvesting really going on up in that part of Minnesota, central Minnesota. But other parts of the Corn Belt, there is harvesting getting underway. We're going to check in with the the St. Joseph, Missouri area. Gene Miller will give us an update on early harvest in that area. That's coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. 
Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack are violent. In fifth or 90, and I had a stroke. If I would follow the treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. One over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I know it's coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise education plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we have talked before about the potential benefits of gene editing and livestock production. But there is a, a battle going on about oversight of that technology. Should it be with FDA where it's at, or should it be moved to USDA, like many in the livestock industry, like the National Pork Producers Council would like to see? Let's talk about it with Dr. Dan Kovich, who is Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, thanks for joining us again. Why do you feel it's best to have the oversight with USDA? What we're concerned about is what is actually getting approved. Is it the edit? or this altered genome, and how does that affect how the descendants of these animals are going to be regulated on farms and ranches. That's where we feel that that post-approval piece, that the USDA has the expertise, and more importantly, the existing authority to regulate the descendants of gene-edited animals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 
Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, time to start checking uh, on uh, harvest progress in the areas where there's some going on, and certainly some places are able to get out and get some uh, early work done, early for this year, not early for most years. Let's go to the St. Joseph, Missouri area. Gene Millard is there. Gene, how are you? Well, good morning, Mike. It's been pretty good, nice sunny day, and uh, corn's drying down, and everybody's getting anxious to get going here again this morning. How much have you got done so far? Oh, I don't know, 150, 175 acres so far this week. Uh, we're, you know, the corn is drying down. We we uh, we got started when it was 21 and a half, and then called it quits for a couple of days because it was 90 degrees and hot, hot, hot. And we figured that uh, Mother Nature can dry cheaper than we can. So, uh, but at any rate, it's got down to the point now where it's running around 18% moisture, and so it doesn't require as much uh, drying. And uh, so it, it, we're moving along, but we're finding, the, of course, what we kind of expected, a very, very uneven scenario. Now, this was corn that was planted early, uh, for us at least, April 16, 17, 18, somewhere there, before the monsoons hit, for sure. But... Uh, Matured out normally. Uh, the test weights are running just average, and uh, I'd say the yield on total is probably going to be APH, uh, less than our record crop of 2017 by far, but better than last year when we had a severe drought in this area. And, and corn is averaging about 100 bushels instead of 175. So that's kind of the story for here, Mike. We're rolling. Yeah, you have to. As we talk with farmers in different parts of the country, you have to put everything into context because, like, uh, in your case, you had such a challenging year last year. Others are coming off record years. So when you compare this year to last year, you have to take all that into consideration. Oh, absolutely. And and we we just didn't have any moisture in those two, three critical months last summer. And this summer, it just rained continuously. And what we're seeing is a stress of just excess moisture. Uh, there was close to 20 inches of rainfall in May and June, and that's, uh, you know, two-thirds of our annual total. It just, uh, 
it was just too much. And so there, I think kind of a terrace channel's washed out. And when you watch that yield monitor, you think, well, it's rolling along here pretty good. Uh, somewhere close to average, you know, 140, 160. And then all of a sudden you hit that blank <laughs> where there's nothing. And that, that nothing really drags down your average in areas that have uh, swamped out spots. It's just, uh, it's hard to get that average when you have, you know, vacancies out there in the field. You seeing a lot of nitrogen loss, seeing the results of that? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, we knew we had lost a lot of nitrogen, and it just kept raining in June, and we wanted to come back over the top of the additional 40, 50 pounds of uh, to supplement uh, what we put on earlier. But it just was too muddy to get uh, a shredder in and across the field. And by that time, the corn was getting close to tassel. And we even had neighbors that were trying to fly on nitrogen. And that seemed to be kind of a hard thing to do. Uh, we finally got the top drafts done about the uh, 1st of July when it barely got dry enough to run. But uh, it didn't rain then for three weeks in July. So. You know, it was delayed in getting that going, but uh, we've, we've got one field. We did get uh, a top test, and obviously it was 20 bushel less than where we were able to get some nitrogen off. So we know nitrogen loss was a big factor. What about insect or disease damage? Uh, nothing appreciable. Uh, we, we just don't see much. Uh, we, we, we did not put any fungicides on, but... Uh, they're just they're just showing very minimal amount of uh, leaf diseases. There was some. It was detected, but it was not uh, to the category that you'd call you know severe. So uh, in that regard, we're pretty fortunate. Well, what about your beans? Uh, how far away are you are you from uh, getting into the bean harvest? Well, the beans, uh, the early planted beans. We had some soybeans that we planted about the twenty fourth, fifth of April. And they're already turning, and starting. They'll be dropping leaves this next week. Uh, but we're supposed to get one to two inches of rain here over the weekend, and uh, so it's going to be a little while there. So the bean planting was strung out over a long period of time. So uh, they're, they're going to be starting, you know, around here somewhere in the first week in October, uh, by and large. But it's going to be it's going to be a while. And what what do you think? What do you what are you expecting out of out of your bean crop? Well, they look good. Um, you know, they're pretty heavily potted. They're short, but they are pretty heavily potted. And again, again, a contrast with last year when we had beans that looked so fantastic early and then just did not get any of those critical time period rains, and it cut the yield in half. I think we're going to be looking at above average uh, on soybean yields here, but it's going to be strung out and it's going to be highly uneven again because the planting dates are so spread out. There's not going to be very much of that really outstanding high yield uh, that when you get planted early, but at least we've got, oh, maybe a third of our soybean acres that were planted back there in April, and they look really pretty good. I've heard a lot of people, a lot of farmers make the comment they're ready to get 2019 behind them. Uh, yeah, this this year just seemed like it won't end. I mean, it just keeps raining and raining. And a southeast, southwest Iowa, northwest Missouri corner, uh, the river's coming up again. That South Dakota rain just 
Billy's up there. Our ethanol plant at Craig is going to get real close to high water again. Uh, I think the river's forecast to get to about 23 feet at Rulo, and uh, that's going to spread out on a lot of the bottoms uh, that the levees were never repaired from the spring of spring flooding. So the flooding's going to be an issue. Again, yeah, been quite a year. All right, Gene, thanks for the update. We'll check back in as you get further into harvest. Thank you. Uh, you bet, Mike. Have a good day. Have a safe one. Gene Miller farms in the St. Joe, Missouri area. That's going to wrap it up for today and for the week. Let's all be careful. Make sure it's a safe harvest season. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend, everyone.